All right, we're back for another episode of the Fried Egg Podcast. It's been a while since we last recorded one, but uh, we are excited today to talk a little bit off uh, the beaten mainstream PGA Tour talk path and get into some college golf. Um, And with us, we've got uh, Justin Silverstein, uh, the associate head coach of the Southern California Trojans. So USC is uh, one of the top teams in the country, and Justin's been with the program. Uh, he started uh, with the program in the, in a, as a women's associate coach and has moved over to the men's side uh, this year. So we're excited to have Justin on, and uh, thanks for coming on, Justin. No problem, Andy. Thanks for having me. Excited to get on here and talk some college golf and hopefully get people fired up for the spring season that will kind of be here before we know it. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're excited with the national championship here in Chicago. We're going to be doing a lot of uh, college coverage on the fried egg, and we're happy to have you on as the first uh, college, uh, uh, you know, guest. So, you know, first off, we'd love to hear a little bit about you. Um, you know, to give a quick background, uh, Justin was a great junior player uh, down in San Diego. Won a couple of uh, state championships at Torrey Pines. Um, playing with uh, Jamie Lovemark for a couple of years there. And then he went on to uh, Arizona to play there. Um, so I'd love to hear about kind of uh, your playing days and then how you got into coaching, and uh, we'll take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, started playing junior golf in San Diego. was uh, really lucky to be on a great high school team. Um, we had, I think, six guys on my junior year team end up going to play Division One golf, one of which is Jamie Lovemark, who's now making a big pile of dough playing on – with the big boys out on tour, and um, from there went and played at the University of Arizona. Uh, I used the term play very loosely. I practiced a lot and spent a lot of time in the training room. Uh, I ended up having five wrist surgeries when I was at University of Arizona, which was good and bad. Um, kind of let me see a whole different side of golf, where about my junior year, my redshirt junior year, um, I was no longer cleared to play golf uh, because of an injury I had. So I had to kind of make a decision of what I wanted to do with my life, whether it's hit the books a little harder or maybe try to do something else in golf. And luckily I had a great college coach, Rick LaRose, who was at University of Arizona for over 30 years and a really good assistant coach in John Knauer, who was there for 10. And I really admired the work they did and kind of the difference they made in our lives. So at that point I kind of decided that I wanted to turn my attention to, to getting into college coaching and kind of learn the business and you know, try my hand at that. So I helped out with the team uh, while I was still in school, went to practice every day, traveled to tournaments, kind of shadowed Coach LaRose, and he was great and let me do that. And that turned into a volunteer assistant job with the men's golf team at Arizona the year after I graduated. And then just by sheer luck, the women's assistant job opened up that next year. So as a 23-year-old, I kind of fell into the women's assistant coaching job at Arizona, which had just come off a Pac-10 championship and was a top-five program, and that kind of got me going. And it was quite an eye-opening experience being a 23-year-old coaching women's college golf and coaching kids that were about the same age I was. So I had to learn pretty quick on that job. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, that's that's kind of uh, one of those things where you had bad luck with the wrist. Um, I mean, I've never even – that's kind of crazy, five surgeries in less than three years. So you have the bad luck there, and then you have, you know, kind of divine intervention, and you get the, the great luck of uh, coming up on a, on a job right in your backyard yeah kind of look it back at it like it, it probably i know it saved me a bunch of money from going to try to play professionally because i know I've, I've definitely was not good enough to compete with guys like jamie and especially these guys we have on our roster now so it saved me money in that regard and it kind of got me kick-started on a career path that's turned out to be you know a lot of fun and i love it wake up every day and get to come in and coach these 18 to 22 year olds it's, it's really good stuff so can you play golf now or are you you know do you do you get a, do you play with the team much is, do you have limitations with the wrists Yeah, I've still got pretty big time limitations. I need one more surgery and it's kind of a major one so I'm really hesitant to do it and don't want to really go through the rehab and I don't really know if it's worth it. So I don't play much at all. Um to be honest with you, the last time I played was I believe it'll be 3 years ago this January and I played at Augusta National with our women's golf team. Um, we just come off a national championship, and our athletic director, Pat Hayden, uh, surprised us and took us down to Augusta for three days. So I ramped up all winter, practiced every day, taking a bunch of pain medication, fighting through it, figured 
getting to walk the fairways at Augusta was probably worth it. And went down there and played 36 a day in about 32 degree weather, and it was maybe the three greatest days of my life. So since then, uh, I, my clubs are still in the travel case in a closet in my house, and I have not been on a golf course to play since. You know, I guess that's probably one of the best ways that, you know, you could go out for a long period of time. You know, <laughs> yeah. go out that. Nothing will compete with that. No, I tell the team all the time because they always try to get me to play. And Coach Danbury plays with them all the time. I mean, Coach Danbury was a phenomenal player. He played the Nike Tour for, I think, over 10 years. It was a really, really good player. So he plays with them all the time. The kids are always trying to get me to play. And I'm like, guys, it's one, it wouldn't be very impressive right now. And two, it would hurt too much. And it's probably not even worth it. So um, I let Coach Danbury deal with all the uh, all the playing and kind of beating our guys into the ground when he has to. So you know, how does coaching at a college level you know, a lot of these kids have, you know, string, swing instructors that they work with. You know, what what do you guys do in terms of coaching? Is it is it a lot of, you know, course management stuff, um, practice um, drills, you know, practicing the right way? How does it how does it kind of differ um, from that traditional teaching? Yeah, this is kind of a very – it took me a long time to learn this. Um, so when I got into coaching, I was – really fired up to get, you know, hands-on with the kids, get to work with some really good players. Because um, I'd always had a crazy interest in teaching. And I got there and I tried to dive in with all these kids. And in about two months, they were all fed up with me. And I was like, what, you know, what is going on here? And it took me some time to realize that they've all got their own theories on how things should be done. And not only do they have their theories, whether it's swing theories or just how to play golf, their instructor has one and their parents have one and – you know, their sports psychologist that they have has one. So when I got to know Chris Danbury, who's our men's head coach, uh, really well when I came over to USC five years ago to work on the women's side, he had this whole system of how to practice that he developed. And it's, about, and it's become now 11 tests that we do uh, every Tuesday and Thursday when we practice on campus. And these tests are to find out where your strengths and weaknesses are um, in your game. And – what the tests do is they protect the players from us as coaches, uh, the players from themselves, and the players from their instructors. Because what we found out after dealing with hundreds of really good college golfers is a lot of them don't know where they need work to get to the next level. And they kind of just go off of opinion and how they feel, and that's a really dangerous way to go about it. And we've been lucky enough to have some advanced analytics come into golf lately, which I'm sure you have you know all about, you know, with Mark Brody's book and Strokes Gain. And we've really dove into Strokes Gain. And kind of now it's we – do, we take a different approach with every player. Some players need more help, more hands-on help. Some players need more course management stuff. And some players just need to be pointed in the right direction as to what to improve. And they're pretty bright, and they work with really good instructors, and they can figure out a way to improve it. So – um, I would tell you it's a lot more hands-off than I originally thought it was, but we are constantly evaluating and reevaluating, ranking their games based against each other to find out where everybody needs to improve. Yeah, and that makes a ton of sense because you can essentially um, take the strokes gain. You know, uh, you know, for people a little less known, strokes gain isn't a statistic that a common golfer can really use because you need a field to have the strokes gained against statistic work. So do you guys use the team as the field or is it historical data um, as to create the field score so you can see who's performing above? So we've been doing strokes gained putting based on tour average okay. uh, for the year for about three or four years now. Um, I was doing it with our women's team, and uh, Coach Danbury's been doing it with our men's team. So um, we've been keeping just a constant log of that for our players, and um, our incoming recruits are sending us data because they're kind of diving into it. And We've really found that that's the one measurement in the stroke skin capacity. So you have stroke skin driving, stroke skin approach, stroke skin short game, and stroke skin putting. We figured out that if we can get the putting number, we can kind of – we can pretty much figure out how you played that day. You know, if you shot 72, shot even par – and you gained two and a half, well, you hit it like a dog. I mean, it's pretty obvious that you just didn't hit it very well. Well, if you lost, you know, three and shot even par, you know, we can then figure out how you hit it. So that was the big metric that we started collecting where we really thought we had an advantage because we could then 
kind of cipher what's going on with the rest of your game. Mm-hmm. So we're starting to dabble in strokes gain driving. That's another one that's becoming easier to collect as long as you have the hole distance and your second shot distance and where you hit it from. Um, it's been a little more difficult than we thought to collect, and um, we've got a couple guys doing it. We're really trying to we're going to try to ramp that up in the spring. I know there's a couple big time programs that are doing it uh, full time, so we've got a little bit of catching up to do. But we we feel like we're at the leading edge of our strokes gain putting data, and we've got some tests in our practice that can coincide with that data that have hopefully given us a a way to improve our players' putting because what we've seen from the data we've collected is our kids are not quite tour average putters. Uh, we've got a couple players that are right on the edge, um, but we've right now we have no positive strokes gain putters on our roster. Um, Sean Crocker was for most of the season, but we're hovering right around zero and losing strokes. So that's really a place where um, the tour players have have a big advantage over really good college players. That's that's very interesting. It's uh, so would uh, Crocker be the guy that you would want with a ten foot. Uh, putt on the 18th hole at Rich Harvest to win this year's national championship based off of stat? Based off of the numbers so far, actually, he I probably have to go right now with Andrew Levitt, who's been in our lineup all, all semester. He's a fifth-year senior. He's been our best putter. I'm actually looking at our data right now. He's losing about .3 around strokes gained. Sean was gaining most of the semester and then kind of had a rough couple last tournaments. We played some places with some gnarly, gnarly greens. I mean, Cypress was otherworldly how difficult those greens were. But um, all of our guys I, f- I feel pretty confident with. And if you give me any of our guys with a 10-footer to win a national championship, I'd be really happy because that means we've got a pretty good chance to win a national championship. Yeah. Um, but right now I'm probably going to have to go with Andrew Levitt. And you can see from our match play lineups in the past couple of tournaments, he's been uh, our anchor, and that's because he's uh, he's one of, if not our best putter. So, yeah, we've gotten a little bit into the team, but uh love to jump in a little further. Um, so, USC, you guys this year entered uh, with the, you know, you had the, that preseason number one ranking from Golf Week. Uh, the last two years, been really close to the, the national championship. Last year, they uh, they lost in the semifinals to Texas. Yes. And um, then the year before, they lost in the uh, finals to LSU. Uh, you guys took down my Illini in the semis, which, you know, makes me a little bitter. But, <laughs> but they're, um, doing, they're doing just fine. I'm not worried yeah. about them. They're doing just fine. So um, with that, you guys started the season a, a little bit slow, but, you know, it really came on at the end. You guys won probably the coolest event of the year, um, the Cypress Point classic yep. and that it was a match play tournament where these kids got to play uh three three straight days at uh cypress point um and then uh won the gifford correct yes as uh yes. as as your last season uh, event of the season and then i saw that uh justin sue one of your players finished second in the uh sun bowl last week so really strong finish to the year for the for usc i'd love to hear kind of uh about the team, you know, what you guys are looking to improve on, um, you know, some highlights from the season. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody, based off of the courses that you guys got to play this year, would, you know, wouldn't want to be a college golfer nowadays. It's gotten pretty good, hasn't it? I mean, the courses we got to play this fall, I don't know if we'll ever go through a stretch of playing that, starting at Olympia Fields and then going to Colonial. And then Golf Club of Georgia is a fantastic track and then Cyprus, and then uh, Silverado, where they just hosted the Fries, was uh, that was better than we expected. Um, that was a really, really cool golf course. I think every hole we stepped on in the practice round, Coach Sambri's like, wow, this hole, this is one of the coolest holes I've ever seen. So if you get a chance to go up there and play that track, I, I definitely would recommend it. But as far as the, the season goes, we got to a, a really slow start. Um, no sugarcoating it, finishing eighth at the Illini invite, and then sixth at the the, the Nike NCI event. It was a little rough. Um it's interesting our scheduling worked out. I don't know. Most people probably don't know this, but the NCAA limits how many practice days were allowed in our playing season. And because Justin and Rico played in the All-American, it extended our playing season about another week into the, into the fall because it just ended the other day. So we weren't really able to practice as a team. Um, probably started, I think, seven or eight days before our first event. So we had to jump right into qualifying with no practice time. 
So it was a really interesting deal. Um, we could do some individual stuff with our guys for two hours a week, but we hadn't had a full week of practice before our first event. So I think that might have played a little part in our guys maybe being a little rusty, not quite as sharp as they normally are. And also we just went to a golf course where we got a lot of wind and it was really hard and just didn't play great. And then coming yeah. off of that, go go ahead. I, I played out there the day before you guys did. It was uh course was set up. I mean, that place is just such a bear if you're not right on your game. You know, US yeah, Open. our guys were uh, – it's kind of the pros and cons of having most kids from Southern California. We don't see a ton of wind. Um, we practice in the mornings, practice 7 in the morning, Monday to Friday. So we're not getting nearly any wind in Southern California. So we're getting 20 to 25-mile-an-hour gusts, you know, first tournament out. It really affected a lot of our guys, um, especially a guy like Cheng Jin who was playing in his – first collegiate event, so he had some nerves, and Rico and Sean, I think, struggled a little bit with the win, although Sean ended up finishing seventh. He putted great that week, so that really helped him, but um, we thought we'd rebound, you know, really well at Colonial. That's a golf course that stresses good driving, Um, but we got there, and it was windy again. The greens were soft and kind of had an interesting deal. We didn't have two of our top six players at that event. Uh, Cheng Jin was, where was Cheng? He was at the or the Asian amateur, who's defending his Asian amateur title in Korea that week. So we didn't have him, and then we didn't have Jonah Teixeira in our lineup, who was a semifinalist at the USAM this past summer. So um, we had just, you know, Daniel Choa started for us, and he's done some good things for us in the past. And uh, we just really didn't play well that week either. So after that event, we kind of came back home, and Coach Zamory and I took a couple days and kind of tried to figure out what we needed to do and got back to work. And then things start, really started to pick up after that event. Um, we had a couple individuals play in an event in uh, Northridge's event, and Jonah Teixeira was able to play in that event and got a win. He shot 66, 68, 68, shot 14 under that week and got a win. So that really kind of boosted his efforts um, for the fall season. And then right off of that, we went into the Georgia at the Golf Club of Georgia in that event, and we played really well that week. We finished third. Um, we actually had a two- or three-shot lead going on to the 18th hole. I think we had a one-shot lead in the 18th fairway, which is a reachable par five. And we had two guys with five irons in their hand into the green and another guy with a two iron and ended up playing the whole one over and losing that tournament by one. So that was a little painful. Um, but we really were starting to show our good stuff then. And I think that, that kind of pro- – That tournament, somebody made a, just a ridiculous comeback on the last day, right? Um, I, Virginia played great the last day. Um, and we shot 279 the last day. We shot, we had 66, 69, 72, 72 as our counters. Um, so we we played really, really well that last day. Um, yeah. The last two days, actually, we shot 279 um, the last two days. And for people who don't know, we play five guys, count the low fo- four scores. So 279 is a really good score. If you shot that every round, you'd win every tournament by a lot. Um, <laughs> but that was a good event for our guys to kind of, you know, it settled them down. I think there was a little bit of kind of, looking around after the uh, the Nike event, kind of thinking, what's going on here? We thought we were supposed to be the best team in the country uh, type deal. So that kind of settled everyone down. And then going into two match play events, we really wanted to make an impression kind of on the rest of the country and even prove to ourselves that, you know, we're a really good match play team. Because I think our the best part of our roster is our depth. We are we are at least six deep, and we might be seven or eight deep of, of really good players. I mean, we have a guy sitting at home who's a freshman, Kyle Supa, who's from Honolulu, Hawaii, who's made a cut in a PJ Tour event. Um, I mean, he's a really, really good player, and he's going to do a lot of good things for us. But he hasn't even been able to sniff our lineup yet. Um, and he'll get in there eventually, but not yet. So our depth is really, really key. So we play back-to-back six-person match play events. So that really helped us. That's, I was going to ask is that, you know, you guys returned all five guys from your team that made it to the semis um last year and then you added in Cheng Jin who was you know the Asian all American uh, uh Asian amateur champion played in this year's masters you know one of the highest profile recruits what's what's qualifying like and how what's your qualifying process like how you know do certain guys like your veterans like Sean Crocker and Rico Hoey and uh Jonah Teixeira have like you know is it how does it work so we we get asked this question a lot by rec- every recruit that comes in and asks us this question, and every place has a different system. Um, the answer we give is our system fluctuates based on the group we have. So 
we're not a team that always qualifies for two spots and has three coaches picks. And there's a lot of programs that do that. That's a really, really good system that's been used for a while. And actually, we have used it twice this year, but we don't use it all the time. So based on how guys are playing and kind of the pattern we've seen of play and how guys are doing in our tests and practice, we, we develop a qualifying system for every tournament. And one thing Coach Zambri always kind of pounds on is, you know, we, we're really the only sport that, that qualifies. You know, our football team's not on the practice field with Sam Darnold, who's, you know, come to be, you know, a great quarterback for us the past few weeks. He's not on the field throwing a football through a tire against our, our second and third string quarterbacks to see who gets to play. You know, he's, he's proven over the past few weeks that he's going to be our starter. So to answer your question, we, we have guys that we are probably never going to go to tournaments without. Um, guys like Rico, who's been a three-time All-American, is going to be a four-time All-American. And Sean Crocker, who's ranked 15th in the world. And even Chang, who's got, Chang Jin, who's gotten off to a rough start. Um, if you asked him, he would say it's been you know, pretty bad for his standards. But he's ranked ninth in the world. Um, you know, he's proven for two years, based on the Wagger system, which is a two-year cycle, that he's one of the ten best players in the world. So we take all that stuff into account to figure out our qualifying system. But one thing that we are dead set on doing is giving our guys who are at home, working hard, a chance to make the lineup. So we got back from the Golf Club of Georgia where we played great, and we needed to add another guy to the lineup because we have to play six in this next event. And Jonah had just won the Northridge event the week before. So we, in our, our mind, Jonah's probably going to be the one we plug in, and everybody played really well at Georgia. But we gave our guys a chance to go out and shoot a number, and if they shot a certain number at um, our course Hillcrest out here that we play on Wednesdays, they would have had a chance to get in a qualifier against a couple of the guys who maybe hadn't performed up to their expectations. So we're always trying to find ways to keep guys at the bottom of the roster or who are just outside of our lineup engaged because – like I said, those guys are going to play a big part in this program. Guys like Kyle Supa and guys like Danny Ochoa, who are, have been our you know, seven and eight guys. You know, if, if a guy goes down, a guy gets hurt, those guys are next up, and we've got to keep them ready. So we're always trying to w- find ways to keep those guys engaged. So, so you mentioned Hillcrest. Obviously, L.A. has got a you know, dearth of great golf courses with LACC, Riviera, uh, Bel Air, um, Sherwood. Uh, what is it? Lakeside also. Where uh where do you guys play and practice? Do you have your own practice facility? How what's the day to day and week to week kind of look like for some of your players? Yeah, this is always kind of an interesting one because uh I feel like recruits and even uh just people kind of who are golf fans think that when you go to play college golf you're supposed to just, you know, wake up in your dorm, you roll out of your bed, you walk like thirteen feet and you're on like this super insane driving range with like five track men and you know, hitting Pro V's and there's nobody else there. Well, no place is really like that. You've got to kind of manage your schedule to get to these golf courses. And as most people know, USC is located, you know, right in the middle of downtown L.A. Um, so it'd be pretty hard for us to have an on-course campus. Luckily for us, we're able to use our uh, USC football practice field and USC baseball field to hit balls outdoors on campus. So that's huge for our kids. And we typically practice on campus on Tuesday and Thursday. And then along with that, uh, three years ago, we opened an indoor facility, which is located in uh, the basement of Heritage Hall. We have two Foresight Golf Simulators, which quite honestly have been program changers. They've been maybe the best thing to happen to this program in the last decade. Um, these things are getting so much use, and they've enabled us to get so dialed in with our yardages. And like I said before, we are so big on iron play here, um, especially since Mark Brody's book, Every Shot Counts, came out and just stressed that, if you want to be a great tour player, you better be good at strokes gain approach, and that's iron play. And that's something Coach Danbury's always tried to kind of pound into his kid's head, and that's what I've always tried to pound into my kid's head. And uh, those simulators have given us the ability to get a lot done in a short time and given our kids the ability to go somewhere in between class or in between studying when we're not officially practicing and get a great hour working in some yardage drills and um, line drills and do different things. So it's really been uh, – Great for us. And then as far as country clubs go, this I think is probably our, our best best benefit of coming to play golf at USC is we have three full memberships at Riviera Country Club, which means three of our guys every year are full members at Riv. So um, we kind of divide those up as however we see fit. And those kids for the semester or the year or some kids for their four years are full-blown Riviera members, which is I mean, Jordan Spieth brought it up when he was playing the Northern Trust last year that 
it's part of the deal at USC. If you play golf here, you get one. If you're one of our good, you know, one of our highest recruited players, you you definitely get one. And I think that's a benefit that um, maybe not a lot of other programs can can match because that place is the tour's been there forever. The range is awesome, and uh, just the name itself, you know, gives us a lot of. It's it's spectacular. I it's mean, spectacular. I played uh, in the summer out there, and I mean. There isn't a weak golf hole on that golf course. No, it's so good. And come tournament time, it gets so firm. The rough gets so gnarly, and it, it's so good. It's such a good test. So, you know, we have three kids who are there, and then our closest course to campus is Wilshire Country Club, which is a great, very high-end country club. Uh, we have full privileges there, so our guys can show up whenever they want, practice, chip, check in with the starter, go play. Um, so that's been a great addition for us. we got – full-time usage there i think two years ago coach damry negotiated a great deal for us there so our kids can show up on the weekend in the morning go hit balls there chip putt hang around try to sneak out and go play some holes and that that's about 15 minutes from campus and you don't have to get on a freeway which if anyone's ever been to los angeles that is a huge huge plus if you don't ever have to get on a freeway that's that's a life changer um so that's those are kind of wilshire's are pretty much our home course that's what i would say but we use Hillcrest Country Club, which is another 15 minutes from campus. Um, on Friday mornings, we play at Annadale Country Club, which is a great club in Pasadena. And we use Trump National in Palos Verdes quite a bit. And the good thing about Trump is it's right on the water. It's one of the most beautiful golf courses you'll ever see in your entire life. But it is a mega beast. It is long. It is mean. If you miss the fairway, you, it's like off a cliff. You can't even find it. And I think um, – Using Trumps really made us a great driving golf team, and that's something that Coach Zamri and myself is, have always have always really been attracted to is guys who can drive the golf ball long and straight, and that's kind of where the game's gone. Um, almost, almost you know, laughable now how far these guys hit it, but uh, it's been a great golf course for us to kind of stress the importance of of that part of the, the game. That's a, that's perfect lead-in where I uh, I wanted to know kind of you know wh- what you guys look for beyond obviously you know looking at scores is what do you what do you guys look for in kids when you're saying you know we want this kid at uh, USC. Well, I mean you, you hit the nail on the head. Scores are the most important thing. Uh, rankings are also really important to us. I know people probably don't want to hear that, and I, I, we say it to parents all the time, and they're like, "Well, the rankings." I'm like, "Well, the rankings are a good comparison of you against your peers." I mean that's kind of what it is, but. Um, apart from those two things, we we love ball strikers. Um, we're sucker for really really good ball strikers, and, and the, more specifically, we both, Coach Emery and myself, love unique ball strikers. Um, kind of funky looking golf swings, weird grips. I mean, Coach Emery likes nothing more than a kid with a super weird grip who just absolutely stripes it. Um, kind of homemade stuff, not super manufactured. But our biggest deal is ball striking. We love guys that hit it high and long. And then kind of in our mind, if you hit it solidly, we can kind of fill in the rest. Um, you need to putt decently to some level. Um, and then you know, it kind of goes back in the strokes gain conversation. But if you putt decently enough and you hit it long and solid and high and play well against your peers, you know, we're, we're going to focus in on you and we're going to really want you. And we really have put a preference on guys who hit it long and high. Yeah, that's, I mean, the Tiger generation. Nobody hit it longer or higher than him. Yeah, exactly. Especially some of these courses we played. I mean, going to Bradenton um, at concession two years ago. I mean, if you were not a big boy with a ton of speed, it was really hard to get around that place. If you look at those teams who play in the fi- or you know in the match play and the guys who finished high up on the individual leaderboard, that, I mean, it was a big boys game. That's kind of what it's turned into. And all these postseason events are kind of trending towards really good, high end, long, hard golf courses and. We just think guys with speed have a big advantage. Now, that being said, we do have we do have guys that don't have a ton of speed and they have to kind of manage their games differently, and that that present you know presents a different challenge for Coach Zamri and myself when we get them in. But you know, it's a great mix to have you know three or four guys in your lineup that kill it, and then you've got you know another two or three guys who are you know good good iron players, very accurate off the tee, and great chippers and putters. Um, so you know, a mix is great, but I would tell you first off, we're we're attracted to guys who hit it high and hard. Nice. Um, so you know, parlaying off that, outside of, you know, outside of your guys, what guys have you seen this year on other teams that you know 
have kind of uh, made your jaw drop in terms of the way they hit the ball and, you know, could be the, the next Brooks Kepkas of uh, of the PGA Tour. You know, it's interesting. I mean, there's the two guys kind of that have led our team are Sean Crocker and Rico Hoey, and it's hard to find guys that hit it harder and more solid than those two. I mean, they're really, really advanced ball strikers. But um, at the Gifford, this uh, was it two weeks ago, uh, Sean played – Maverick McNeely in match play, and I walked with that group, and I was helping Sean, and uh, that was a good chance to get to see Maverick up close, and it is it is more impressive than the resume up close, I'll tell you that much. Um, there's enough speed, um, there's enough height, but the way he can get himself around the golf course is otherworldly. I mean, it, there there's no fluke that he's won as many times as he has and has had the success at Stanford that he has, so I think the list starts with him. Um, after him, I, I, Will Zalatoris at Wake Forest. We spent a bunch of time playing with Wake this year. Crazy impressive ball striker. Um, kid's got a ton of pop. Uh, long, lanky, but he pounds it. And he's a lot of fun to watch. Um, Gavin Hall at Texas has a crazy amount of speed. I think Tron Carter would be all in on, on Gavin. Uh, <laughs> the length he hits it. He's not a big dude, but it, it's moving. Um, it's like... It takes a lot for Sean and even Rico to admit that someone's got crazy, crazy speed compared to them. And I think Gavin might be the guy that they're like, he might he might have us. Um, so he's had a great year. And then I think uh, Wyndham Clark at Oregon, who was formerly at Oklahoma State, is the number one ranked player in golf stat right now. Wyndham's a very, very yeah. impressive ball striker. Um, really, really good player. In that East Lake Cup, it was incredible how far he was hitting it. And just, you know, he, he's beautiful golf swing. Beautiful golf swing. I know he. I think he just switched instructors. He's working with Jeff Smith out in Vegas now, uh, Radar Golf Pro on Twitter, who's done great work with a bunch of tour players and a bunch of young guys. Uh, he teaches Aaron Wise, who, if you don't know that name yet, you will soon for all the golf fans. But uh, Wyndham's made some good changes there. and We saw him at the Nike, and he played with Sean as well, and I was with that group, and Boy, was it impressive. He looks really, really good right now, and he's going to be a tough one. And then Sam Burns from LSU just won the All-American this past week. Um, so there's another name. I know it's a lot of names to give you, but no, there's so many good players. Really, all really impressive players. I mean, it's, I think the, the depth of talent in, is just insane, and it's only getting you know deeper. I mean, you look at the PGA Tour, I mean, there's there's just not enough spots for how many talented players there are now and and the professional ranks on lower tours that, you know, that can't get a crack onto the PGA tour. And you're like, how is this guy not there yet? Well, it's because there's just more and more great college kids. And every year there's, you know, a bigger flood of them heading to the pros. These guys are so polished now. I mean, I didn't even mention Colin Morikawa who almost won a, uh, you know, a professional event this summer. I mean, the guys, guy had a crazy, crazy good summer and, um, I mean, he's as, he's as good as they come, too. So, like I said, you can't even get to all these guys. I mean, there's another 10 guys I could rattle off that I'm I'm so impressed with. It. And they don't even play for me, but, I you know, when I watch them play and even watch them on the range, it's, it, it's crazy impressive. And these guys are getting so much more polished. They're playing golf all year round. I mean, they're playing every week in the summer. They're just – they're so skilled. And it, it's really cool to see. And they're – all those players I listed are on really, really good college teams. I mean, those teams are all top 10, 12 teams. So – it makes the college game so much more attractive to outsiders when these really, really good players like Mav and Wyndham and guys like that are on college teams that they're going to see on TV, whether it be at East Lake Cup or at the national championship. Mm-hmm. So how much, it, you know, and I'd love to hear from your perspective having played, I, you know, I see it at the amateur level where I think back to when I was a kid and when I was like a high school senior, I hit it like, you know, 240. Right. And now these kids are hitting it, you know, 320, 330 yards as, you know, 17, 16, 15-year-olds. Um, you know, what What have you noticed is, is the, you know, real game changers uh, in terms of what's changed in just the last 10 years that's led to this explosion? Yeah. It's the distance. I mean, it, it's nothing other than the distance and, and the speed. And both those things give I mean, higher flight and more spin, which is – enable these players to do things um, from the fairway from, you know, 200 and out that we would have never even thought of. But this, the the speed that these guys have, and not even the big guys. I mean, Justin So is on our team, like you said, just finished second in the All-American in El Paso last week. He's 5'8", 155, 160, 
and he won the long drive contest in El Paso. He hit three thirty-eight or something like that. I mean, the speed these guys have, and like Gavin Hall, not that big of a guy, but just murders it. And it's across the board. It, it's a big boys game, and we're seeing with recruits that are coming up, and you know, thirteen, fourteen-year-olds, fifteen-year-olds that we're watching. I mean, it's an over six-foot game, and all these guys have speed. And um, I don't know what the answer is because um, there's some people that don't like it. Um, you know, they're probably gonna have to address the ball at, at some point because it's just getting to a point where golf courses aren't going to be able to be big enough for these boys. Um, I know we we fight that problem in L.A., and that's why we're lucky we have Riv and Trump, which are well over 7,000 yards and, you know, huge golf courses. But we're losing the greatness of a lot of these smaller golf courses because the speed's just gotten to such an astronomical level. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I'm, I'm for rolling back the ball, but – I think it, you've got to roll it back for everybody if you're going to roll it back, you know. Because yeah, I don't think you can do it for one section and not for the other. And I don't know if that's, I don't know, you know, everyone wants to grow the game now, and, you know, I would love to, but I don't know if that's going to help or hurt growing the game. I don't even know if it will affect it. But seeing what these boys can do, and, I mean, these three woods these guys have now are just, I mean, you can't even describe what these guys are doing with their three woods. They're hitting the three woods 310, 315, and a lot of guys – well, they can't hit their three wood because it goes too far. Yeah. Um, the technology's gotten so good, it's kind of gone from the driver now down to the three wood um, that it, it, it's a really weird deal. And uh, I'm kind of interested to see where it goes with the club manufacturers from now on because the technology's gone down to that three wood. And you know, what's next? Is it going to get into the hybrids and the utility irons? And it'll be interesting to see where it goes. So I, I'm curious. I you know I just doing some research on. Um, a piece that I never wrote, but I was looking at driver lengths um, and how for the common golfer, they've gone up every year, you know, they're right. not 46 inch drivers. You know, I personally use like 44 and a half. And then I saw that tour average in the last 10 years went from 43 and a half just to 44 and a half. Right. What are, what are the most of the year guys um, using for, you know, lengths? I would assume that they're all in 44 and a half. Um, if that's what the tour is, I'm assuming that that's what my guys are. Um, I spent some time down at TaylorMade. I think it was last year when I was uh, I went down with one of my girls. I was coaching at the time, and I, met, I was talking to one of their engineers who was hanging out on the range, and they've experimented going back shorter. Um, I guess he was heading a project of thinking maybe that short of the club, that a high handicapper would actually pick up some speed. So I know there's some some research being done on that now, which would I think it'd be good. I think it's gotten too long and. But you're not seeing any of the college players, I don't think, really going over 45, maybe 45 and a half. But um, I think that's kind of hit a wall there. At some point, you gotta, you're losing control, and the golf courses we're playing with, the rough we're playing on, it's going to come back to bite you. Yeah, I mean, the number one thing, you got to be in a fairway to score, you know. Uh, <laughs> make bogeys from the rough. You don't. It's hard to make bogeys from the fairway for those guys. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, you know, let's, let's jump uh, a little off topic here um you know, i played in the u.s mid-am and uh it was won by a usc grad um Stuart hagestad and I, i'm curious if, if he's been back around campus you know what um what uh i know coach zambri uh coached him he's you know only 25 so he's a recent grad of the program uh rare one not to turn pro but what the if he's been back around and uh if uh, any of the guys from uh, your team know him and, you know. Uh, yeah, so our guys know him pretty well from uh, amateur golf this summer. Uh, we hung out with him uh, for a bunch of time, or a lot of time at the AM uh, this summer. And so he's been in kind of constant contact with a lot of our guys, especially Sean and Rico, because I know there's some Walker Cup hopes um, for the three of them. It, it sounds to me like Stewie's going to have a really, really good chance to get on that Walker Cup team because they have to pick the two mid-AMs and him being – 25 and having the summer that he had, especially with that mid-am title, I got to think he's almost a shoe-in for that team. So I know Sean and Rico have been in contact about with him about that. But Stewie's a legend here at USC. Um, he's got a bunch of nicknames, Van Wilder, the Thin Beast. Um, but with all the testing that we've done, Coach Zambri will always harp on the fact that Stu might be his best iron player he's ever had. And that puts him in the category with Love Mark and Tim Sluter play the European Tour, and Rico Ho, he's been a three-time All-American. So um, Stu's kind of a legend. 
around here in uh, all different walks of life, whether it be on in his fraternity or in the athletic department or um, even in our standards of testing here. But Stu's a really good guy. He's got a really good family. His family's uh, all Trojans. He spent a lot of time around our athletic department. So um, we couldn't be happier for him. We were watching the playoffs uh, on our phone, on Coach Nambry's phone, during the practice round at Olympia Fields. And when he made that putt to win, we went crazy. And I think – the whole golf course heard us scream. So it was, we were so happy for him. And um, he was telling Coach Zamri and I at the USAM that he had aspirations of making this Walker Cup team, and that's that's where his mind was. And he was going to do everything he could to make that team. And winning that mid-am and getting in the Masters, that's that's definitely going to help. So we're yeah, thrilled for him. I mean, the, the two guys that got to the, you know, and I mean, Hagestad winning, you know, with, um, you know, that, that kind of uh, locked it up, I feel like. So... It's um, I don't know. It, Harvey is a great player too. I, I, they're still keeping two guys on the Walker Cup, two midams, right? Two midams. That's that's as far as I know. That's what they're still doing. And kind of going back to Stu and getting into the Masters. Our men's team took a trip to Augusta Stu's senior year, I believe. And I think rumor has it Stu put up a pretty good round um, from the tournament tees, his last round at Augusta. So it's a place he's comfortable. So. I'm, uh, we're really excited to, to see what he can do there, if he gets yeah. the invite. I know Augusta he, hasn't if, given that out yet. If he can bottle up that uh, the, the game he had the last five or six holes of that mid-am, I mean, that was unbelievable, all those birdies. That was such good stuff. And like like kind of Coach Danbury said, he had some great iron shots down the stretch there to give him 10 to 15-footers to keep that thing alive and then to win it. And yeah. uh, It was good to see. You know, the testing had paid off, so it was good for us to see too. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, let's jump into a couple uh, reader questions and Twitter questions here. Um, so in the, in your college career, you know who who's the best player that you've seen through come through the college ranks? Um, this is from Ghost of Hogan. Oh, Ghost, love Ghost. Um, this I'm kind of torn on this one because both the guys I'm thinking of, I'm I'm really good friends, best friends with one of them, and I'm really good friends with. Uh, the other one, Jamie Lovemark. So first one I'll give you is Jamie. Um, what he did his freshman year was so dominant, and we previously talked about this. Him and Patrick Cantley, um, it was kind of back and forth of um, Southern California battle of who could do more on the amateur circuit. So Jamie's stuff might be as good as I've ever seen. Um, the way he hit his long irons and the way he drove the golf ball and his hands, he's got very, very underrated hands around the green. His high chipping game is world-class, um, I, I venture to say one of the best on tour, um, going high from around the greens, and he could always putt. So um, I'm giving you two incredibly biased answers, by the way, so yeah, I, I apologize funny. for that. And the other one would be uh, Chris Chris Nalen, who's now the assistant men's coach at Arizona. Um, and I got to know Chris really well because I committed really early to Arizona, so I started hanging around the program and going to some tournaments and when they were around the area that I was at and got to know Chris really well and ended up living with him for three years uh, towards the end of college and then into my coaching career. Chris's amateur record was stuff of, like, legend. Uh, just, I think he was a semifinalist in the AM. He won the Northeastern. He won the Dogwood. He went on one of those crazy summer stretches. And he was such a good ball striker that it made up for, I think, what he would tell you was kind of his lower-end putting skill. And he, he, was, he was a good enough putter. He was serviceable. But his iron play was so good. It was something that always stuck out to me. Stuck out to me, Even as a young kid, it was something that I would just watch on the range and I would just, my jaw would hit the floor. It was so good. And uh, I kind of spend all practice rounds of college tournaments when we see him trying to tell my kids how good he was. And they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm like, no, guys, this guy was so good. He shot 65, 64, 63, 62 at the Dogwood one summer. And then they're like, what, seriously? And unfortunately, he had a, has a really bad back injury and is not able to play anymore, um, which is kind of similar to what Jamie had. Jamie broke his back and had surgery, but luckily he's kind of regained his health. But those two guys, in my eyes, um, guys that I spent a lot of time around, kind of their stuff was something that always stuck out to me and I always admired. That's, that's great. I mean, it's love, Mark. I, I always wonder what would have happened had that first back injury not happened. Because it's you know he was on like a unbelievable trajectory from you know college to pro to dominating the web dot com and then he got hurt 
Yep, exactly. And he started, you know, he got hurt in college toward the end of his career. Um, he had a rib issue that kind of held him out of a couple events. But you know what? He's done great work with Chris Como uh, the past couple of years, and he's really driving the golf ball well, which was a problem uh, coming off his back injury. So I think uh, now he's kind of focusing on tightening up his iron game. And if he can get his iron game a little better, I would look for him to do some big things because he got himself in contention quite a bit last year. And that yep. was pretty much on the back of his chipping ability. He's a good putter. And then, you know, I think he was third or fourth all year in strokes game driving. He's just so far and so high that um, Chris Como really tightened up his accuracy and he kept his distance in doing so. And um, he said he's been working hard on his iron game and he's, He's come in a couple times since I've been here to work with Coach and on the testing, and um, you know we're expecting big things from Jamie this year. And he just got married, so he's you know his life's in a good place. So hopefully he can get off to a good start and um, do some big things this year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think what gets lost, and you hit the nail on the head, is like he's like a top 15 player in the world around the greens. It gets yeah. lost because of how far he hits it. But yeah. when you hit it that far and you're that good around the greens, it's, it's really hard not to be successful. Yeah, I mean, we watch, you know, we're we're in the office all the time watching, you know, the guys on Shot Link, and it's like Jamie Lovemark, 323 to right fairway. And then it's like Jamie Lovemark, 183 to right rough, 47 inches, you know, 47 feet from the hole. And then we're like, oh, he'll chip it to a foot. And it's like <laughs> Jamie Lovemark, third shot to six inches. And it's just like he's such a good chipper, but it totally gets lost because he, he was dominating that strokes gain driving stat. Um, but like I said, if he can get that iron game just a little bit better and a little bit sharper, he's he's going to do some great things. All right. So the next uh, two are from Tyler Goulding, our and, former assistant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so what you know the the big controversy it actually happened when you guys played uh, Texas is is that you know Bo Hostler hurt his shoulder, had to get surgery later on it, but he was unable to play in the finals. Um, he hurt his shoulder while playing the semifinal match. Was he playing against Rico, right? Uh, Bo was playing against Andrew Levitt. Okay. Um, so he hurt his shoulder, unable to play the next match, and the NTA doesn't allow um, substitutions. So Texas had to just forfeit one of the final match play matches in the finals of the NTA championship. Um, so what are your thoughts on them upholding no substitutions rule? It's, if you ask 100 people, you probably get 100 different answers on this. Um, so even Coach Zambri, I think, might have a slightly different opinion than mine. I love substitutions for match play circumstances. I do not like substitutions for stroke play circumstances. And that's because the individual rankings are a big deal to these guys. I mean, they, they really care about the rankings. It's how, you know, companies make decisions on guys when they're turning pro and even agencies you know, look at guys' rankings when they're trying to figure out who they want to represent. So it's a big deal to these guys, and it's a big deal to us. We want guys that are highly ranked. And I just feel like if you have substitutions in stroke play scenarios, we're going to have guys, you know, if you pull a guy out, does he does he finish last in the tournament or does he just not get a ranking for the tournament? So you'll have – you could have, you know, some room for some some funky stuff going on as far as pulling a guy out or when do you – you know, if you get a highly ranked guy who's playing bad – and you pull him out, you know, are you pulling him out really to make your team better, or are you pulling him out, you know, maybe to save his ranking, to make him feel a little bit better? So I just feel like there's a lot of scenarios there. But as far as match play is concerned, I think it's a great idea. I think it gives more guys a chance to travel, um, which also presents another problem for smaller programs. Uh, for bigger Power 5 programs, the expense is not that big of a deal. It's another, you know, $1,000, $1,500 a trip, which just added on your budget, and you know, the bigger football schools can kind of kind of deal with it. But the mid-majors... That's a, that's a lot of money that they probably have to fundraise. So, you know, there's a that's something that a lot of people don't think about when they talk about substitutions is the added expense. Um, but it, it, as far as match play, I, I think it works. And the Bo Hoffler situation just shined a light on it. Um, it it's kind of been talked about for a long time. I actually remember Coach LaRose bringing this up when I was playing back in 2007. Um, I think he even brought it up at the coaches' convention then. But uh, it's kind of a funny story at, at Eugene – Obviously, you had the Bo situation, but uh, our women's team at USC played Duke in the first round of match play, and Leona McGuire played with early stage vertigo. Um, it kind of wasn't really talked about because it was a quarterfinal match, but you know, trust me, they would have liked this substitution. They would have had to pull the number one amateur in the country, in the world, um, to rest that day because she had early stage vertigo. Now, she fought through it and played, and um, you know, actually, actually played decently well that day, but 
it's something that presented itself twice that week, and obviously the bow one being in the situation it was, and you know the talent he is, you know always being in the spotlight as good as his record was, uh, got more people to talk about it. But it's something that's been discussed for a, a while now. It's, yeah, it, I I think it's at that stage. I mean, it was just a shame. I mean that yeah, you just have to give away a point when it's you know it's not like they're they're faking an injury or they're trying to get somebody out of there. I think if uh, I think if there's a legitimate excuse, there should be, you know, you should be allowed to switch. Yeah, know? especially in the match play. You know, that was in a match play deal where it's, you know, there are you get one head-to-head ranking win if you beat someone. It doesn't really affect the rankings much. Um, like it would in a regular season event if you're pulling a guy from a stroke play event. That changes the rankings a lot. It also changes who everybody else is playing. But in a match play situation, I love it. You know, bring bring seven guys if you want. You know, who cares? Bring the whole team. Figure out who you want to play in the match play. I think it's a great way to get more guys involved and it gets more strategy involved for the coaches, which which I think is great. Yeah, I agree. Um, so it, just, um, you know, what you guys are expecting, obviously you still got to get through regionals um, to get to um, Rich Harvest and the, the championship. But, you know, what, where do you guys uh, qualify for at the regionals? And, um, you know, what, have, what are you guys uh, looking forward to about uh, Rich Harvest as a course? Um, to be honest with you, I don't even know where the NCAA regionals are located this year, so I cannot <laughs> answer that question. Um, but as far as risk harvest is concerned, we are really excited to get there, um, assuming we get there. Uh, I've never personally been there. Um, Rico played there his freshman year in regionals in 2014. Uh, USC got through there. I believe they finished tied for fourth as a team. Um, and the reviews we got back uh, from those guys and Coach Danbury on that golf course where they loved it. Um, Kind of the words we I kept hearing are big, mean, long, um, a lot of marsh, I guess, <laughs> um, from what I hear. But um, it's going to be a really, really tough test. Uh, I think it's going to put a a big mark on driving ability and long iron play, which our entire roster gets excited about when they hear that, um, probably from getting it pounded into their heads by Coach and myself. But it's something we're really looking forward to. And then all I keep hearing about are these uh, different team grounds and, you know, couple hundred different ways to play the golf course so when we get into match play um it could be a very interesting setup where they could change some stuff coming down the stretch make some holes drivable make some par fives reachable where um hopefully we can give the tv audience some some exciting stuff that's that's yeah it's it's going to be it's definitely a big golf course definitely tough i mean if you if you don't bring your ball striking game it's going to kick your ass so um but anyways hey thanks for spending you know an hour with us i i can't say enough thank you for the time and um you know for everybody that's looking to follow justin he's on twitter um it's justin s underscore usc so at justin s underscore usc and uh hey thanks again for coming on and uh wishing you guys the best of luck here in the spring season no problem Andy. thanks for having me on appreciate the coverage you're giving college golf and uh look forward to seeing you out at rich harvest farms Definitely, man. Looking forward to meet there. Um, Thanks again. Awesome. Thanks, Andy.